0: Hello, this is JFL, John Francis Leader, and you're very welcome to the Body, Mind, Self Podcast. So I'm here today with Dr. Andrew Pringle. Uh, Andrew, you're very welcome to the Body, Mind, Self Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, John. It's great to be here. To talk so, to you. so for those of you who, uh, those of our listeners who don't know who you are or what you do, who, who are you? How would you describe uh, wh- what you do in some shape or form? Right. Um,
1: it's a good question because sometimes I, I tell people I'm a psychologist. Now, that's not technically quite quite right because i'm a cognitive psychologist Mm. and i think that difference is important to stress so by cognitive psychology we mean really trying to understand how the mind works essentially Mm. and trying to understand kind of normal human behavior um on generally so things like you know how your how people's attention works um people's memory you know obviously we look at how these things break down in in conditions like um you know alzheimer's and um Amnesia, these types of things, but it's it's really a uh, cognitive psychology, which I do, is really a basic understanding of of how the mind works, um, and a normal kind of cognitive kind mm. of human human thinking
0: processes if you like so and it's an important point isn't it because that word psychologist uh, there may be some pictures that come to mind for the average person but uh, there's a lot of scope under that isn't yeah
1: there? i'm i I'm, mean you know, i always you know for when i first studied undergraduate that i'd have yeah. my
0: couch by now and you know you yeah, yeah. be sitting on it in some
1: <laughs> you know room with some flowers you know have a, a yeah. beautiful view over a park and stuff but uh, you know the, the psychology is such a wide discipline with so many different kind of um, people doing such different things um in in that area, so you know you have it, it goes from the extent of sort of forensic psychology where people are um, looking at um, uh, aspects of the uh, criminal justice system mm. um how the police can interview people so that you uh, that suspects are not kind of um, forced into say making confessions for crimes that they didn 't commit yeah. um, so sort of psychological vom- vulnerabilities which mm. might be there and might account for um say at all points in sort of the criminal just justice system. So you've got you know the, the forensic side of things, right to the um, uh, kind of more uh, so, uh, cognitive side of things that I do. You know, really looking at kind of behavior, often you know doing sort of ex- experiments in laboratories with with human subjects, um, mm. human participants, but really looking at very small you know <coughs> um, differences in cognitive processes. Mm. So. <clears throat> just to kind of give an example of that um you know how we how we process for example um uh, how processes such as color naming um, and uh, word reading kind of conflict so um, it's a common task called the Stroop task mm. which is often used sort of as a measure of in- inhibition and uh, you know, not to go into too much detail but essentially that task looks at sort of the competition between you know we we see it, we see a color um, and uh, we're asked to read that the color that that words rented in written in and if say it's color uh, um, if the word red is is printed in the color green and we're asked to to tell the color of that word, the the uh, the written. Um Information gets in the way of our color naming. It's By the, the way, animation. I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to put a link to a Stroop test in the description. Okay, oh, okay. so anybody who's Great. listening, check Great. it out because yeah, it is one of these things. You, it's fun to experience, isn't it? It is because there is yeah. in psychology isn't it? these things we we think we think we know better, but then we see kind of the limits or the idiosyncrasies of a perceptual system only when we really test it.
1: That's right, John. Absolutely, and I think I think these there's some good. Um, you know, tasks, stroop task being one great task. that You can just have a go at home. Um, there's lots of sort of uh, examples of it on the web, um, and you can just experience that kind of conflict between uh, those those kind of two processes of naming the color um, and reading the color mm. um, yourself. There's also a good examples, perceptual illusions as well. Yes, now yeah. these, these are great kind of ways to sort of, I think, really understand, uh, really appreciate the the intricacies of the you know how the human mind is actually built, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know the world that we that we kind of think we see is sometimes you know not the world that is really kind of out there um and our our brain is kind of filling in the dots um Mm -hmm. and it doesn't provide you know our brain doesn't provide a a full representation of the external world it only provides a representation of the world which is useful to us so Mm -hmm. that may change based on the context we're we're in um and that's kind of where perceptual illusions kind of come from this fact that we're not we're not getting a full view of reality we're kind of Mm. the brain is interpreting reality Mm -hmm. for our our purposes and and that makes good sense from an evolutionary perspective Mm. because there would be otherwise we'd experience you know we'd experience a massive overload we'd just be crippled by the amount of information we were having to process so it really makes sense to process the information which is which is most important to us you know Mm. hence why kind of emotional um, em- emotional stimuli like faces for example mm-hmm. are, are, are such um, kind of Alluring objects to uh, to look at. You know, we, we see faces in everything. We see faces in, uh, yeah. uh, in in rocks and kind of you know toast. Yeah, as in yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> as in Jesus, you know. You mean that toast. wasn't Jesus this morning? <laughs> well, I I had assumed. Uh, as I know absolutely. <laughs> I, I was special. <laughs> Obviously, there's another angle on that, but uh, you know, I think from a from a, a perspective of my of a con- cognitive psychologist, yes, it's quite it's quite nice to sort of see how how these things kind yeah. of are Recognize are patterns. Are are, yeah. are just um, facets of our. Yeah, our, our brain, you know, faces are so important for us to recognize. Yeah,
0: completely, and, and, and what comes yeah. to mind is that this is what a lot of technology is trying to solve, and <laughs> I, I mean, even... No, not that Google in its original manifestation as a search engine was simple, but simpler than what we're seeing happening nowadays as yeah. that advances in AI <laughs> and deep learning and deep action and all of these kinds mm. of things. But uh, that that ability, when you were talking about the sheer volume of information coming in, yeah. the ability to be able to do something with that, to coherently sort it in some way, that's what that is, isn't it? Yeah. because you know, There's no shortage of information in the world, but how do we filter it in some way in a way that's based on what matters? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I
1: think, uh, um, this is, this is the, you know, we, we live in this kind of strange, um, paradox essentially in these times of having, you know, all the information that we can need are are, are at our fingertips, just a Google search away, um, essentially. But, you know, how do you actually distill that information into something useful for, um, for, you know, the, what we need to do, what actions we need to perform. And Mm. I think, you know, it's <coughs> it's really it's you know it used to be back in uh, previous times that it was all about knowledge and you know education. For example, is right. about gaining knowledge. Um, oh, sorry, John, but um, now it's much more about um, actually being able to use this knowledge in yeah. effective ways. Um, and I think that's a, a, a something a problem which is which is you know incredibly um, important um, and you know ubiquitous across kind of all fields. Mm. But it's something which is difficult to solve. Mm. Um, and I think we are still, you know, trying to work out how to harness mm-hmm. you know, this incredible kind of web of information we have out there mm-hmm. um, to actually help us um, mm-hmm. with our with our lives, um, rather than you know hinder yeah. us with too much yeah. choice, which like is drown sometimes drown us in a information at, at best. Yeah, the
0: absolutely. The yeah. Uh, and what you're saying there, I think, it kind of beautifully paints a picture of I suppose what psychology and what psychologists can be doing, can be focusing on. Uh, Because, again, not to some some listeners, but to a lot of people, you know, when the word psychology (coughs) or psychologist comes up, again, there's going to be a notion of maybe a a therapeutic application of it. There's going to be, I suppose, nowadays also a CSI picture as well comes Mm. to mind of some sort of forensic psychologist out there um, uh, analyzing in that way. But... I suppose psychology is so implicit by definition <laughs> in everything mm. that we're doing, and uh, whether it's these technological applications or really whether it's anything else that that's the case. And I, ca- I kind of feel uh, we've been pretty bad at that sometimes. In in in, uh, and I think if the example of the optical illusions and Stroop mm. tests and things like that has been very good examples of how you know, we need to get this stuff out there, actually show it to people, get people thinking about things a bit differently. And it shouldn't mm. be this thing that's behind closed doors in labs. It's so unnecessary for that to be <laughs> yes. the case. Hopefully yeah. technology is <laughs> going some way to solving that because now there's a sort of a need and people are saying, well, how does this stuff work and how do we make sense of it? Yes. But What do you see that is happening or could happen there?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's I think the important thing, you know, it, as uh, i was talking to an environmental psychologist recently now mm. what the, in, as by environmental psychologist i mean this this is a um a, a, s- a lecture in the university of surrey in the uk and um her her kind of role um, in environmental psychology is trying to get people to uh, to engage in more pro-environmental behavior yeah. so to recycle more to save more energy now um <coughs> she was working with some computer scientists um, and they developed this kind of really cool kind of device for it was quite a few years ago now, for monitoring energy levels and kind of uh, in off, off plug supplies for yeah. various devices. You know, so it was kind of, and in that time, it was sort of fairly new, this type of, type of technology. Anyway, they presented this technology to, to her and installed it in sort of various offices in the university. And they just sort of said, well, here's the technology that's that's the problem solved yeah yeah but you know she was very much like well you know you need to how do you get people to actually take up that technology and actually use that technology how do you get people to be motivated to use it right how do you actually test if the technology is actually you know helping them um or you know hindering them i mean you know at first sight, it feels that you know energy-saving technology is going to help people realize their kind of energy-saving mm. goals. But you know, maybe there's m- maybe it's just too complex. Kind of, uh, 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 if you've got to kind of, you know, go to the go to the you know reach under your monitor every day, you're under your desktop yes. computer as yeah. it was back in the day, yeah. and uh, roost around for a button to switch. You know, to sort of, you know, how do you operate operate the controllers for these things? You know, there's there's various kind of um, human processes which go on to actually which which are important to consider mm. for this technology to actually work. So I think, you know, psychology research and the related area of human-computer interaction, mm. which I think is a growing and very important area, is to really uh kind of evaluate and and examine um and, and see how we can support human use of technologies. So that, you know, the technologies are are fantastic and I, I think sometimes the um, the interaction, kind of the, the human interaction with them, that element is sometimes lost in the sort of excitement of the technology. Right. I mean, that's kind of where psychologists and HCI, human-computer interaction researchers, come in. I think we have that kind of focus on, you know, wh- how do the humans, you know, how 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 are people going to going to use these things? Um, and I think that's something which is you know, which is kind of growing in in realization in. The human-computer interaction mm. community—I should say—that community is made up of, you know, computer scientists as well who build mm. all these cool, you know, mm. brilliant software uh, for for doing things like saving energy, and uh, they've got, you know, these great ideas there. But I think, you know, almost in the design of these things, you have to kind of think of uh,
0: the human being using it mm-hmm. from day one mm-hmm. to
1: make it effective.
0: Yeah, there is a, a very real need for a, a kind of a, a cognitive ergonomics in, mm. in, in the in the design process. It, it, it's probably something like a, a furniture designer who's just a carpenter <coughs> and doesn't ever interact with people, is it? A, and you know, yeah. the, the technology's there, the buildings there, the skill is there in in a, probably a way that uh, a psychologist wouldn't have. Somebody who really understood people but not <coughs> furniture, you know, would struggle to create a good sofa. Yeah. But yes, yeah, you know, there's, there's something in the middle there that's needed. Yeah, it's the it's the old question of you know, were the, the juice carton's designed to fit the fridge or was the fridge designed to fit the juice <laughs> carton <laughs> in that <laughs> way? And you know, yeah, there's probably yeah, yeah. some interplay between the two on some level <laughs> in the development. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think that's right, John. I mean, I think it's it, it's so important, you know, and uh, people to work um, it, in, in a kind of interdisciplinary fashion, you know. Mm-hmm. So but, I mean, I think the simple like rather than getting sort of those complex sort of technologies about how people work together but it's about kind of as you say the 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 person who builds the thing um the designer the carpenter interacting with the um person who's thinking of the human element from day one and that that of that design process um and i think you know really if you look at kind of uh some there's some good sort of thinking at stanford university on uh, something called design thinking at the moment mm. which is really about kind of how we can design better for human needs um uh, to actually make it so that the things we're designing actually work for work for mm. people rather than just sort of you know perform the function of what we think it should perform because sometimes we don't know mm. how people are really going to use this thing you know unless we really go out into the world and observe that sort of behavior and that's really the thinking behind a group in a uh, stanford's called Ideal, and I think it's uh David Kelly. If you want to track down very the name. good yeah is that is that familiar for you, to you? To yeah, you I'm not, not right? directly familiar with it, no, but no, okay. yeah, I yeah, mean we'll, 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 we'll try and put a link. We'll put some links okay, in, in, great, in, the,
0: in, the, uh, in the in the in in the in uh, the footnotes. So yeah. that's called
1: design thinking, and I think mm. it's really it's kind of you know taken it's 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 taken the business world kind of by storm. Um, yeah. So it's kind of come from. Uh, kind of come from obviously industrial design mm. uh, designing things like shopping trolleys for example um, you know sometimes even really mundane things like this we don't w- we've just got used to a certain design for these things mm. but you know that doesn't mean to say it's the best you know it's the best design out there you know I yeah. I always think of the example of the hand dryer you know the mm. classic you know white hand dryer with the with the small little kind of uh, air vents mm. which sort of blows on you and never ever like you know dries your hands and you know I never thought anything about this I just thought this is what hand dryers were supposed to be and sure. then I saw the Dyson <laughs> yeah. you know not to uh, you know not to kind of sell the Dyson product here but I think the Dyson hand dryer is a is a really good example of you know good design of, of a kind of ubiquitous appliance which uh, really actually um, solved the pro- solved the problem. Which mm. and and sometimes that problem wasn't even known about. You know, yeah. I never even that problem never crossed my mind yeah. until I saw the solution, and I thought, that's genius. You know, and I think that's what design feeling really uh, design thinking. Sorry, mm. allows you to um, unpick. You know, sort of really unpick. Does that piece of technology mm. um, is that really working? You know, well, mm. for for people. You know, do are we just are we just used to it? Um rather than it actually being particularly good at what it does. So there's a link to me made of AR here. I don't know if you want me to go into augmented reality at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well let's let's Am do I that. I, I, okay. I, th- I think I don't think we can jump the gun with that because that's a very, very relevant topic. <laughs> okay. But before you get there, uh where have you come from to get there? Sure. What, what, b- because you've, you think you've given us a very good sense of of yeah what you're interested in, mm-hmm. in there, painted some of the, some of the pictures of it. To begin with, though, what got you into psychology even to begin with, and then why specifically cognitive psychology, and then beyond that, what have you actually been doing up until this point?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question, John. And what got me into what got me into psychology? Well, I, I can tell you the one seeing one kind of perceptual illusion was what kind of hooked me into yeah. doing a psychology degree. Um, and it's a uh, it's a great it's it's called um, and this is the name of the research paper if anyone wants to track it down, Gorillas in Our Midst. Mm. Not to be confused with the the <laughs> na- nature documentary Gorillas in the Mist <coughs> by Di- <laughs> Diane Fossey. This is um a, basically a psychology experiment with uh, a group of people throwing a, a um, beach, b- beach ball around between them. So just a group of students throwing a beach ball between them. And you're asked, um, so I was asked by the professor of psychology, I went to a, a talk um, at uh, Edinburgh University, to, uh, basically I was interested in, in s- enrolling there, um, on their uh, s- undergraduate psychology program. And I went to this talk and they sh- he showed this video and he said, you know, just focus on this group of people, focus on the ball being thrown around. And then, so he showed that, and then at the end, he asked if he'd seen anything strange mm. during that kind of um, uh, that uh, presentation, do, during the people throwing the ball around. Now, so, uh, some, people in the, some people in the room put their hand up, I wasn't one of them, um, <coughs> but uh, he basically said, well, did you notice the, the gorilla in the middle of the group wandering <laughs> around, so a, a person in the gorilla outfit wandering around, waving their hands in the middle of the group, you know, you'd think, how could I not see that? Mm. But, um, most of the room didn't see it, and mm. he sort of played it back, and you know you, you you said, "Don't focus on the ball this time um and uh eventually you know, if you're not focusing on the ball, you see the gorilla and the idea is this as I was saying earlier, this kind of if you are uh focusing you know you're you're kind of um on uh the movement of say a certain object in space mm. you you will there's there's a good chance you'll miss um something you know coming up in that space which is even as obvious as a gorilla waving its arms around or Mm. a man dressed in a gorilla suit Mm. waving his arms around Um, and it really shows you know again we only have the view of the world which is useful for us for the task we're performing so I mean in that task I think it was actually you had to count the number of times the ball was thrown between people so it was a fairly demanding you know task you had to actually like pay a lot of attention to that where that ball was going Mm. and and that's the phenomenon it's showing is something called change blindness Mm. um there's another good study where um it's uh someone is um takes a big i think it's a mirror or something like that um a big kind of um rectangular object anyway um they're they're going towards a um uh no, sorry. I'll start again with that. <laughs> this is yes, a better yep. example. <laughs> so y- some, you go to a desk, for example, some yeah. sort of form filling, you know, you're, it's a doctor's surgery, for example. And uh, you go to the desk and you're asked to uh, fill out a form, for example, by, mm-hmm. the, by the receptionist. Um, and then halfway through, when you're filling out that form, the receptionist is, is the, it, they swap places with someone else who's been hiding behind that desk Next to the receptionist, but so you couldn't see them. So the receptionist is, is, is changes. So you know, mm. if you say, uh, obviously you, you know, it wouldn't be a, a change from a man and a woman, but two men sure. who look relatively, you know, similar, but you know, by far, by definitely not so sort of in any way identical. Yeah. Um, and they find you find that on most of most of the time, people never notice that change in the in the receptionist. That's because they haven't been paying attention to the receptionist. You know, the, the receptionist is there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're performing a role, but you're, as the person who's filling out the form, you're focused on you know, the form you're filling out, you know, what, you're, what you're there to do. You're not focused on that person. Mm. So they've not kind of grabbed your attention. Mm. And that just shows you, again, that we're not processing the whole world that's in front of our eyes. Which mm. is, and it's this ph- phenomenon called change blindness.
0: Mm.
1: And that really drew me in. And I think that's also why I got interested in cognitive psychology. Because I think at, at the beginning, I... I, got in, I was interested in psychology for the uh, clinical reasons, you know, I think it's absolutely fascinating, you know, the, um, uh, to try and understand conditions, obviously, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Mm. You know, there's some really, I mean, actually, there's some really interesting cognitive psychological research on those topics. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's actually equally interesting to understand how um, our, uh, you know, ev- ev- how our everyday, uh, Perceptual systems mm. work, you know, um, and which applies to kind of everyone. And um, I think this, this, um, I say, this phenomena of illusions, uh, perceptual illusions, is a is a good way to really kind of appreciate the magic of how, mm. you know, we we work as as people. And I th- think that's <coughs> that kind of took me away from the, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, mm. the clinical applications of psychology into sort of more trying to understand. Um, you know, just how our mind works, as I said before. You yes, know, and, 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 and and
0: that's important, isn't it? Yeah. Because th- there actually, at a certain level, isn't a clear line on what is clinical and what isn't. There, mm. th- there's certain uh, there's certain things you could do very much removed from the therapy room or the clinic. Yeah, yeah. that could be very, very critically important in the clinic or the therapy room, yeah, or yeah. just in the life of the average person. And that that's that's important, I think, to see that it's not that clear a divide. Absolutely. I think that's a very good, you know,
1: as, as, as an absolutely uh, brilliantly important point, you know, um, crucially important point you make there, John, because that, that dividing line, I think, is something which the more you study psychology, the more you see that that's um, in somewhat kind of a, uh, you know, not a, a, false, a false dichotomy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that you know, clin- um, clinical kind of, clinical symptoms are, you know, uh, we, we all kind of a lot of these you know personality and mm. uh, traits and you know the, the extent to which uh, people um have 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 certain ten- tendencies um f- uh that's kind of, you know, maybe clinically diagnosed as sort of, you know, mania, for example, yeah. are, are often, are often kind of on a, on a spectrum. Right, um, right. There's a, I, I mean, this is not my kind of area of but if anyone's, if anyone's interested, there's, a, I mean, I'm reading a really good book about it at the moment, yeah. sort of a general psychology book uh, called yeah. Understanding Madness, so I can yeah. give the reference to this. Uh, yeah, let's we'll link com- to that. Yeah. This is a really, I mean, if you're interested in that sort of side of psychology um, and, as I, ge- as I say, it sort of talks about some of the co- in, in, in mental disorders from a sort of a very specific kind of how they're rooted in the normal processes of the mind, I think, which is, which is fascinating. It really kind of mm-hmm. actually really humanizes, you know, madness, I mean, essentially. Um, you're,
0: you're absolutely right. And that, that <laughs> point of, of how we make sense uh, of things is critically important because yeah. even in <laughs> what may seem from one perspective to be disorder, It can surprisingly make a huge amount of sense within itself, isn't it? There can be an internal consistency within it sometimes or, as is classically the case, the kind of the misuse of a feature in a sense that we have something that's very close to me because a lot lot of what I work with in my therapeutic uh, Mm. work, that part of my work is with stress and anxiety and other adrenaline-related difficulties. (coughs) Mm. And Mm. I think it's just so clear to see when you explore that that the adrenal system is really a fabulous system. But it's a sort of a system that we don't quite need in the way we used to use it, maybe. I mean, that's not true of all people in all parts (laughs) of the world. And, of course, if we have a fire, it's also not true there. Then it (laughs) suddenly is fabulous again. But a lot of the time, we're just using it in ways we Mm. don't need to, where we're kind of overbuilding it. How interesting it is with that example that... It's, a, it's a, a physical system, the adrenal glands in the center mm. of the body, the neurological processes that are part of it. But as a system, it's almost primarily triggered by imagination. Mm. It's not the lion or the tiger yeah. sinking its teeth into you that gives you an adrenaline rush. It's the idea of what may happen. So it's the, 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 the this cognitive aspect to it. Yeah. So oh I, yeah. I, I, th- I think you're right because it's easy to, to pathologize, I suppose. And that's another people may negatively think of when they think of psychologists sometimes problems or mental disorders or difficulties but I think there's a huge amount and there's a lot happening isn't there in that space in really normalizing these things and saying let's actually understand this from the ground up what is it trying to achieve as a system and let's appreciate that more yeah
1: absolutely I think that's one of the most exciting things for me about psychology it's just trying to you know you're really trying to understand these phenomena you're trying to strip away kind of our um, our p- kind of preconceptions about these things and yeah. it's really a great you know it's a it's a great subject for busting the myths um, we have about kind of our own human experience which I think mm. you know I mean uh, I would uh, be firmly b- a firm believer in the fact that kind of our human experience and which I think psychology is all about you know human behavior the study of human behavior and and the mind are the kind of the, the most important and most interesting um, questions that humanity faces um, mm. I, I think you know it's among among so, uh, you know, for 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 a lot of people doing psychology, I think that's why that's why they got into it. That kind of yeah. understanding and, and and interest in the human element. That that's what sort of took me into psychology. And say you know w- I was more interested in that element than say in chemistry or physics, um, which is I guess you know s- uh, less of that kind of human element. Kind of trying to understand humanity, hum- human behavior and stuff in in
0: that. So so, so it's it's a huge topic area uh, and. What has your research up until this point? Wh- where has it really taken you and why? Wh- where have you found yourself zooming in on yeah. w- within what we've just discussed?
1: So um, I should probably say, like, my, my PhD is in the subject of uh, human creativity. So right. and the cy- I would say the psychology of human creativity. So by that, I mean, you know, the the uh, uh, how the n- our normal thinking processes allow us to be creative. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know... Um, and, and i really came through that from the again from the sort of what I was talking about before the interesting cognitive psychology just understanding yeah. normal human thinking processes so i think um you know there's a lot there's a lot of ideas about creativity being kind of this magical thing which you know comes from a bolt of lightning some <laughs> yeah. strikes you, you know when you're in the shower and you r- or in the bath and you suddenly get up and run around the street shouting eureka eureka yeah. um, uh, but you know the, the it's really you know the study of sort of um Creativity shows that that uh, and how people are uh, how people are able to be creative and how creative people kind of work mm. um, shows that it's much more complex than that. Um, and this this idea of kind of you know being hit by a bolt out the blue um, is you know uh, th- there is some kind of evidence suggests unconscious processing in creativity, but it's just not the whole story. Mm. Um, and as with a lot of these you know psychological ph- phenomena, uh, um, it, it, it's it's really you know there's a lot of kind of uh um creative people are are are, are often you, know, you can be creative in many different ways so you know I mean uh, and, and often uh, creative people are paradoxes within themselves so mm-hmm. by that I mean you know the creative person is often described as more s- m- more m- more mad and at the same time more sane okay. than someone who you know is is is, is not working in such a in a creative profession you mm-hmm. but I mean I would say that but you know someone like Salvador Dali or mm-hmm. you know uh um, uh, let's 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 not just think of artists. Is what I'm trying to yeah, say to sure, myself. Sure. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, but Einstein, you know, someone yeah, who came up with yeah. a theory like this. You know, is in science, it's very important to understand that creativity is a big part of what scientists do. In this, in this ability to kind of. Um, really kind of uh develop a whole new kind of paradigm as you know say Einstein did in his theory of
0: relativity and how how Um, should we use a word like creativity because i i think it has been pigeonholed to some degree in 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 an artistic sense Mm. and that's of course a very important type of creativity or, or a use of creativity yeah um, but as you say it's, it's it's far beyond that and I certainly know from working with all kinds of different people that sometimes they leave me a bit of a backlash to the word creative that's seen as actually a negative thing no I'm a, I'm a rational person, <laughs> I'm an effective person I'm a th- it almost has a negative connotation sometimes yeah. which certainly to me seems unusual for the reasons you've mentioned mm. that as I say in an Einsteinian sense we, we would <laughs> want to bring that in mm. but it's not that it's this kind of unbounded kind of emotional kind of <laughs> exploration <laughs> no, no no i mean i think
1: i think like you know uh, it's, a, it's a very good point i think um there is um you know creativity i think you know it's fair to say that people associate it more with the arts mm. than the sciences um now i think you know there people use sometimes different terms in science you know like innovation um, compared to, you know, creativity is used in the arts, innovation used in sort right. of science and engineering. Now, I think mm. we could, you know, we could have, you could have a lot of debates of, you know, sort of semantics of what those words mean. Um, <coughs> but I think it's, it's important to kind of, I mean, my, my view is we need to sort of actually think of creativity um, as happening across the board. Mm. You know, people can be, crea- obviously creativity exists, and, you know, um, I would be the first as a creativity researcher to also say, you know, it's in the arts, it's in the kind of, uh, uh, performative arts, the you know all all, all different kind of artistic domains, um, but it's also in you know it's also in science, it's also in engineering. Uh, you know, people have to work out whenever you have to work out a novel solution mm. to to a problem uh, that um, uh, actually has utility mm. or adds value. Um, I think that's that. I mean, that's kind of the. Uh, that brings us to kind of my definition of yeah. creativity which is which is not kind of my personal definition but it's the yeah. kind of what's been uh it's been come to by sort of uh many different scholars in kind of the field of of creativity research and mm. i think there's general agreement now that that creativity really involves these two pro- processes so the first process being finding something which is novel uh, generating a novel idea mm. and the second is kind of evaluating that uh, that idea for um, say it's appropriateness, its utility. Say in engineering, mm. where it has to work. You know, it mm. has to. You have to do something like the Dyson hand dryer I mentioned. It has to actually yeah. dry your hands. It can't just look chic and cool. Mm. Um, has to do the job. Um, and I think you know that that kind of um, uh, uh, that kind of utility can be. Uh, it also does exist in the um, in the artistic domain. Mm. In that you know you have to have a have to have a painting, for example, which which gives the viewer. Some some kind of value in in looking at it, for example. So, um, you know, when you're looking when you go to an art museum, it's not just that you see these novel kind of exhibits. I mean, um, they also have to be of value to some people. Now, there might be obviously, you know, there's a lot of kind of you know some people might find artistic work of value mm. other people might think it's absolute garbage yeah but i think and i think that's 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 okay you know it's it, there's a there's a sort of differential across people there mm. where certain people enjoy different things and you know that's great that's what that's yeah. expo- experience is but it's it's kind of you know uh, has to have some value to 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 the observer yeah really yeah, um, yeah. and i think all were wa- all are, you know all artistic works of a you know recognized kind of by the peers in their field um, kind of have that and I think that's that's another you know we're trying to sort of work out you know what's a, a creative painting mm. versus a not, non-creative painting well to a certain extent that's really devi- decided by the experts in a field mm. so you know if you've got people hanging your work in art galleries well then it's safe to say that there's people in that field who think it's creative Yes. you know yes. otherwise yeah. it wouldn't be there you know I mm. mean we don't tend to see you know children's artwork as, as you know inverted was creative mm. as it is you know mm. that the pink sheep um uh, we don't see those things as hanging mm. in in art galleries now i think obviously it's important to kind of say there that you know i wouldn't be attacking children <laughs> for not producing creative work because I- if if uh, you know i saw a child producing a, a pink sheep you know i'm sure i'd be the first to say that's that's really that's really interesting that's mm-hmm. creative and it, and it is because for them it's, it's, it's kind of, it's different. You know, mm. if they haven't seen a pink sheep before and they, they draw a pink sheep, you know, in their, in, their, uh, in their nursery class or something, then they've created something new to for themselves. And I think yeah. that's, it's also important to see there's different levels of creativity there. Mm. So I was really previously talking about, you know, eminent creativity, creativity yeah. which makes a contribution to society right. at large. But there's, you know, people have talked about um, lower kind of uh, creativity of a different kind of order of, mm. uh, you know, magnitude. Hmm. Light's just gone off. Let's try and get that back so on. Sensor, it? <laughs> so, yes, a mean, it's a motion sensor, is it? So yes, it's a technological point of yeah. there. Wasn't moving fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So um, got a chance to wave at the camera anyway. So uh, yeah, so that, I mean, people have called the sort of creativity of children mini-see creativity. You know, it's not to 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 value it less. Mm. It's just to um, say that it's 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 of a different kind of um, type. It's, it's still creativity, mm. but it's it, you can't eminent creativity in many see children's creativity side by side that that creativity is is evident for the child so it's Mm -hmm. it's you know it's of uh, value in its kind of it's valuable to the to the child in the sense that they've never come up with that before so it's sort of you know they're engaging in that um
0: uh creative kind of process you know so so when 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 you start talking about the outputs of creativity it gets interesting isn't it Mm. because uh, Th- there's some creative work which, in a very clear sense, would seem to have utility. So, some of the industrial design examples you're mentioning there are, you know, precisely <coughs> speaking to that. You're designing yeah. this thing; it's creative, it's innovative. In some sense, it it, mm. it 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 does something. There's some output to it. It's solved a problem. It's novel, etc. Yeah. Um, other other work, of course, could could seek to have some output like that, but not achieve it but still would have been creative in, in some use of the word in the sense that there certainly would have been innovative thinking happening around it, yeah. but no, wouldn't have reached its, its target in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, I'm also thinking as well of kind of blue skies research and, and this kind of very, very creative exploration, yeah. whether it's in the the, the the cosmos or whether it's on the nano level or whether mm. it's just here on Earth. Uh, And and in a middle-range sense Mm. that actually has no goal at all in mind and then achieves apparently nothing but then five years later turns out to be critically important in a particular field or a hundred years later (laughs) it turns out to be. So in in that sense it seems complicated to try and bound it in, in one shape or form and even that child's work as well you know, could be the start of something big that's to come yeah. and it could be a kind of a generative process over yeah, time yeah. as well. It seems a difficult thing to, to try and unpack in that way. It, it is.
1: I mean, there. Uh, you know, I think... So here, here's another interesting way maybe to think of creativity. Mm. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think, you know, there is... While I said that most scholars in the field kind of define it in that sort of... Mm. Uh, it's about generating ideas and then evaluating them so that, you know, generating novel ideas which you then evaluate to make sure they have utility in the sense of you know, as I said, um, being, being functional uh, in the case of the Dyson hand dryer or yep. being of value in the case of the painting. You go to see the art gallery and you get an experience from that. I think there's another way to kind of look at creativity, which maybe better, like, encompasses some of the things you were saying there, John, because those are important points. I absolutely agree with you there. And that's that it's an interesting idea that creativity is, is kind of the... Um, by by engaging in the creative in the creative process, we we change our own view of the world, right? And that actually the the creativity is really our view of the world changing, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the most important thing. The stuff we produce at the end of it is kind of you know mere excrement if you like yeah. from that process. Now yeah. you know obviously that excrement can be cre- pretty pretty viable, <laughs> sure. and uh, and I think you know people are people are not there trying to change their worldview. Mm-hmm. They're trying to create the next you know they're trying to. Create the Apple Mac, you know the mm. the, the next big social media kind mm. of platform, but I think you know in the process in the process of doing that, people's people's view of the world completely changes. Right. And I think that's the important thing about any sort of if you like creative exercise mm. we we engage in where we try and create something new, is that it, it inev- inevitably you know that journey it will change us. Yes. And yeah. I think um, that's a very um nice way and i think valuable way of looking at creativity you know i mean and and it's just it's uh, as as they kind of hammer home to you in in Mm. in, uh, you know education and i think you know right you know this this kind of matters for all of us uh, no matter what age we are what we do and the fact that that changes us Mm. that is that's human growth you know and that's that's always gonna 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 mean that you know, as humans, we will go to new places. You know, I'm, I'm thinking and of Vygotsky
0: and, uh, with signs and tools. I'm thinking of of uh, Pi- Piaget in equilibration. Mm. And and uh, again, this this it's it's a it's a kind of a process, isn't it? Rather than an individual act, very often. Yeah, the sense of of shaping the world and being shaped by it, and absolutely in yeah. equilibration, this this balancing between this kind of unbridled creativity, and that seems Mm. to be one of the great things about creativity and about the functions of the mind in many ways is it truly can go anywhere. It seems Mm. potentially very unbounded, which is both its strength and its weakness in some Mm. respects because grounding that seems to be key. But then on the other extreme, this very concrete sense of the world, which has great benefits to it Mm. because there's something more constant to it, but it could be limiting as well if we were just were overly concrete. So there seems to be something in this coming together of this, this great creativity and also this acceptance of the world as it is and the mm. mixing together in the middle yeah, yeah. A, a, a thought experiment around that is if you, if you have let's say two inventors and mm. one is uh, you know by all accounts a genius they, they mm. just are innovative they're visionary they're able to, to see ahead uh, mm. and, and really predict future trends but that's where it stays. You know, Mm. it's a a world of ideas, and it never gets kind of equilibrated that way and and brought into the world. Mm, mm. And then if you imagine another person who's... uh not that great. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're, they're boring ideas. They're a little bit limiting. Mm. Maybe they uh, they they are actually very tacky as an inventor. They'll literally stick a clock on something. Mm. You know, they really aren't that good. Yeah. But th- they do something, but mm. they're very active in what they do, and they get yeah. it out there. Yeah. And it does still maybe affect a few people a little bit. Mm. And even it might just affect people in the way that they go, this is ridiculous. I can do better. And then they become creative. And it's interesting because at the end of both of these people's careers, that worst Person by all accounts will have achieved so much more in the world than that other person. Could yeah, you say a bit about that. I'm interested yeah, in that yeah. sense of the application and that okay. equilibration. How that comes <laughs> into play. That's a
1: great. That's a great uh, thought, thought. kind of experiment there, John. Um, I mean, I think that uh, you know, it's it's there. And the, I'm, I would agree. There are people like that. Kind of there is this sort of dichotomy between. Yes, there, yeah. there are a lot of people out there who are great at producing ideas. But um, really not good at translating them into 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 real tangible things, mm-hmm. um, you know, be that products or or, or research papers yes, or yeah. um, you know something which just you know is is living for posterity, you know, it survives you know past them uttering the words to someone. <laughs> <No. tightly>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think you know there is um, there is kind of there is this kind of view. One view, for example, I'll go through a couple of different views. One mm. view is that. Creative people are actually um, good at doing both those things, so they are able to kind of, they're able to operate in this kind of mindset of just you know play, sort of a playful kind of mindset, if you like, Mm. where they're able to sort of just kind of freely associate and generate ideas, um, um, and then you know they're able to then switch to uh, a, a, a a different mindset, which is about like actually getting these ideas you know done. And actually um, putting them down on paper or doing the very kind of like, if you like, boring kind of steps of actually sure. working out the workability of these mm-hmm. ideas and going through all those sorts of issues like, well, it doesn't quite work this way. You know, we need to sort of just do and you need to reframe things slightly like this. So you're going, kind of going through this sort of constant cycle of, you know, maybe you've got the big. Um, the big idea, but then you're having to sort of generate and evaluate iteratively over many different cycles, mm. uh, and that process can be, you know, I mean that's hard work, and it involves perseverance. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, while certain people are, you know, are, are really good at kind of coming up with those ideas, you know, um, I think true people who are truly make a creative contribution to the world, you know, and I and I refer back here to the eminent creators like Dali or you know Einstein. Mm. Um, it's it's you know it's not all um, you know inspiration there's a lot of perspiration there you (laughs) know I mean that that kind of 99% perspiration um, is what it takes for creative ideas to be realized Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe Edison who said that right is very, you know, true and is supported by the research as mm. well. You know, you, you, you have to, uh, and essentially that was what my PhD sub t- topic was on, this ability very of creative people to m- switch between these different modes of thinking, if you like. So t- uh, the mode where you can generate ideas freely and the mode where you can kind of um, analyze these ideas instead of make them put uh, them to uh, work. Uh,
0: building on exactly yeah. that, do we, do we wrongly separate what we could roughly call perception and action in in I'm thinking in a kind of a John Dewey mm. type type sense in 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 the way that we uh, we talk about this because you know using Edison as an example and mm. the famous thousands of attempts at inventing the light bulb but yeah. they were all prototypes in his view essentially there wasn't one failure in any of them using that kind of point of view there is a sense in which we can sit down and think creatively in in, in some respect and there's another sense in which we can, <laughs> I suppose, lack creativity in some sense, but literally just keep iterating enough times. Yeah. And of course, this is what computer technology might be able to, <laughs> to do for us. Well. So, you know, that type of a system, whether it's a human or whether it's a computer, just to ensure trial and error and the numbers, it gets to a destination. Is mm. that creativity? Well, uh,
1: again, a good question. I mean, I, I think... Um, you know, it, 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 for example, there is there is kind of you know research which has looked at the creativity of computers mm. and um, th- th- uh, can computers produce, say, artworks which are judged as creative um, as humans. Yeah. And the, the, the sort of initial evidence suggests that, yes, I mean, from a point of view, y- you can actually get you can actually get computers to produce artwork, which which mm. is, is which top, you know, artists, uh, eminent artists uh, who are judging it can't tell the difference. Mm. Which is which is kind of, you know, spooks I
0: think people out a little. The bit. question is, does, <laughs> how, does that say a lot for computers, and not very much for certain mainstream artists? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think possibly.
1: I, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's,
0: there's, uh, while
1: that, you know, maybe shows the, the sort of the a, a computer can, I think, go through this kind of iterative process. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, uh, computer scientists have done some clever things, like actually, you know, you actually assess how how um, good the idea is based on sort of an algorithm, which which sort of I mean the the human has to uh, enter into the system what makes a good painting you know and I think that's but the, com- the com- what if the computer knows that if it knows mm. what sort of elements make a good painting well it can sort of try and meet those objectives right you know I think that does tell you where a computer sort of fails and a, and a human you know a human can make up their own object objectives yeah and I think yeah. that's um you know if you you know a a, a, comu- a computer can maybe reproduce a you know, uh, a money or something, Mm. you know, but can a a computer become the next money or Mm. the next, you know, the next great artist? You know, I don't I don't think computers are at that stage. AI is at that stage yet where 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 computers can actually go beyond their what they're instructed to do. Now, now I'm not an expert in that area, but like I think that kind of, you know,
0: you have someone who comes along and, and changes the paradigm. Yes, yeah. A
1: human, a human being, and I think that's something which computers can't can't do. And this
0: takes us towards the augmentation, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because of course that word can be used in, in many different ways, and you know, p- p- please feel free to introduce mm. it for those course, who aren't yeah. familiar with it as a term. But. Certainly, we have, and we always have, used technologies uh, in, in one form or another mm-hmm. to to support us in what we do. Yeah. Um, uh, David Krakauer and the Santa Fe Institute is a, a useful. It's a distinction made in a few different ways by a number of theorists, but but between complementary and competitive cognitive artifacts, mm. and it's a very helpful uh, kind of straightforward distinction in some ways because the idea is that some of them are. are complementary to us and others are competitive meaning that if we don't have them anymore we're screwed essentially. Mm -hmm. So something like a calculator is is a good example because if you have your calculator it really helps you. You need a human and a Mm -hmm. calculator together to to get good work done. The moment your calculator is gone you're in trouble. You don't have that mathematical capacity. And mm. uh, The example he uses is, is something like an abacus, on the other hand, which yeah. apparently is internalized, the research shows, in that that expert abacus users don't need an abacus oh, anymore. Right. Okay. They actually internalize that capacity. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing as well, isn't it, and how we're using those tools. And there's an interesting point in creativity there, too, because, of course, if you're doing your research and you're getting Google up and then you're you're offloading some of that. So the iterative work we were talking about before can be done yeah. in conjunction with human creativity. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. get something very interesting as you blend them. Yeah.
1: And I think that's, there is kind of some work, again, not mass- massively familiar with it, but, but sort of blending those two t- yes. things together. And I think, you know, I mean, for me, that's sort of where the where the future should go. Right. You know, I mean, uh, I think just just well, maybe to de- kind of define augmented reality here. Please, I mean, I, yeah. think, I think you've defined, you know, you've sort of touched on it very well there. Um, but, it, you know, it's really uh, um, kind of the overlaying of digital and virtual information onto physical objects in the real world. Now, um, I, I mean, I'm sort of, often it's kind of being talked about recently um, kind of in the media, sort of a visual a visual thing. Sure. But it, it could also be like a kind of, you know, a, a, any kind of information which augments the ability of humans to uh, to to perform perform actions yes you know and i think so i think you know that could be in different kind of um sensory channels as mm. well you know it could be in hearing for example yeah um as well um and i think you know it's kind of been going on for a long time um but i think the the what you know from again coming back to that sort of you know putting the human into this you know mm. augmented reality is great from the point of view is that it involves humans it keeps humans in that you know, in the p- in the in the process, humans yeah. are essential for for the tasks which augmented reality. Right. You know, y- you're augmenting the human capacity to to perform tasks, um, and um, rather than the opposed to kind of automation, which is really taking the human out of the task. Right. And I think you know, it's not surprising that I mean, for me, that the idea of you know having AI which which produces. The, the discoveries mm. of the future while we just kick back and kind <laughs> watch TV or you know <laughs> or you know it, it doesn't doesn't strike me as a sort of that doesn't f- I don't really think that's a good place t- for humanities to be going to you know that's not really well, these I are these
0: competitive cognitive artifacts and this, yeah. this leads to this kind of WALL-E type example of, yeah. of, of again humans just uh, dwindling uh, yeah isn't it essentially because l- like what's happened to muscle tone in so many respects, because of certain technologies, yeah, and the fact absolutely. we don't need to go out and farm and climb trees and do <laughs> yeah. all of that is yeah. similar. Cognitive potential risk is there yeah. or not, isn't it? Depending on how we play it. Absolutely, and I think I think
1: that's why it's very important. I mean, I think the the kind of augmented reality is is a uh, um, and an augmenting human sensory sensory abilities, essentially. Mm. Is what I mean by that. Um, is so important because it means that we're always going to be at the center of this process yeah. we don't cut ourselves out of um out of things like we might do in kind of you know the the things you were talking about John and, aut- and automotive yeah. processes so you know for example in in car manufacturing or you yeah. know, any sort of manufacturing there's always a human who's who's being augmented in some way potentially with some sort of uh eyewear kind of hi- head mounted display mm. where they're you know being being shown where they should you know the sequence w- in which they should um assemble parts of the car you mm. know think about your ikea furniture for example yeah. you know, imagine you know, it, this is the one of the nice examples of augmented reality it can show you the sequence within which you should um mm. um uh, build your build your furniture but right in front of your eyes so you don't need to mm. look at the manual you don't need to keep looking back and mm. forth to the manual and it shows you sort of where the nuts and bolts need to go, you know, in that kind of sequence. So you've got that kind of, it, it's, it's essentially the augmented reality is taking the cognitive load away from right. you. The kind of, you know, essentially quite a boring task of having to refer to a manual. You know, I mean, probably a lot of people enjoy the building process. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the building process m- myself of IKEA mm. furniture. But uh, it, the part of like referring back to the manual and stuff is a bit kind of, sure. it's a bit sort of, you know, Tiring At Yeah, an, it, so it does,
0: but it's a very important point. It's a good example mm. of that because mm. it just interrupts the workflow, if nothing else. Absolutely, And, yeah. and it's interesting, isn't it? Because why should it? Because the, the content that you're seeking on the bit of paper is directly related to the task you're performing. Yeah so it's clearly not the content that's disruptive that's no. not the, it's not like a phone ringing it's not distractive in that sense yeah. what what the problem is is an ergonomics problem again isn't it to be solved so some way in which that data can be available easily and and you know what comes to mind when i think of different types of augmentation as well are uh, just displays in mm. cars and things like yeah, that and the absolutely. idea of heads up displays mm. so which makes such imminent sense yeah. that to see what speed you're going you don't have to look away from where you're driving to <laughs> isn't it like in a car of all things <laughs> so that just as true at IKEA as it is on the road and so Absolutely. many other places. Absolutely,
1: you know, simple I, things, I, but si- simple things. I mean, yeah. I, I think you know, we, it, it might be the case we look back, you know, fifty years from now, for example. Mm. I mean, it seems that seems a realistic, you know, um, uh, time frame. You know, probably happen even quicker than that look back at the fact w- what we're doing is you know we're 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 reading from manuals to operate devices we're you know we're on these rectangles all the time we live life in rectangles and mm. this point has been made by Meron Grabetz who's a head of a CEO of Meta who's a mm. kind of company in the augmented reality sector and he he puts it really well you know when when we're doing any activity you know these days on on kind of you know any device computer smartphone tablet you're always hunched over kind of you know fumbling through kind of screens you know on these sort of rectangles and it's just you know we might look at that as 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 crazy as um you know people in the past um you know taking airships or something when they could have you know could have flown you know like when we can fly now we might we might you know look at this as you know or or kind of you know videos compared to you know Ghetto blasters, you know, compared to kind of the music yeah. devices we listen to now, you know, we'll, we just kind of not believe that people used to do that. And I think that's when you start to think of things that way, it's one of the most powerful kind of um, uh, um, kind of functionality that that AR possesses, which which I think you know really will mean that in the future we won't be working from screens. We will be working when in a kind of through these kind of eyewear, head-mounted mm. displays. Um, which, by the way, might be just you know little more than contact lenses w- w- in in the future, and 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 where our kind of virtual world is integrated seamlessly with mm. our kind of uh, um, real world, um, and yeah. I think you know as you say, head stuff you know there's lots of applications. F- Really Wh- what you're them. saying there is important. Yeah. Let, let, let's explore that sure. if we can a little yeah. bit
0: more, and then let's, uh, let, let's look at some of your interests mm. in augmented reality and the sure. research in that area, maybe, maybe what you'd like to see come from it. Yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious, again, for, for uh, anybody who's listening to this, mm. uh, some of you inevitably will have experience with, with some of this technology or these devices. Some of you won't. Some of you will have somewhere in the middle. D- just so people are clear on <laughs> what we're talking about, I think the principle of it makes sense, this mm. idea of technology supporting and assisting us in some way what are we actually talking about in terms of devices here? What do we really mean? Uh, what's what's out there and what's coming to some degree? And, and, and the other thing is, how does that uh, differ? How can people best understand the difference between augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, and any of these other words that are used? Maybe mixed reality, merged reality is another one that's being yeah, used. So yeah, m- yeah. maybe just to situate augmented reality a little bit in that space in a way that maybe creates some pictures and, 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 and then let's look at some of the applications. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, I think, like, let's just look at the difference between augmented and virtual reality, mm. which is, I mean, these terms are kind of obviously bandied about a lot. Uh, kind of augmented reality um, is, is really about kind of having, you know, you're, you're, you're having the vi- virtual overlaid on top of the physical mm-hmm. um, world. So, you know, you're not kind of separated from the, the physical world when you're in the virtual world. So, mm-hmm. you know, by that, for for example, think of, you know, um, you're, you're, you're going to... Um, I don't know, you go into a bar or something like that and it's sort of you you look you have your glasses on and you look up at the front of the bar and it sort of tells you what sort of what beers they serve in the bar mm. so you don't have to walk into the bar bar and actually look. You know, you can peruse from kind of outside mm-hmm. and you know, speed up your ability to find the, you know, find the the right beer you want to find. Um, so it's really about kind of still living in the real world um, but having the virtual information mm-hmm. there to augment the, your um your, your senses right um, whereas virtual reality is kind of being cut off from the real world um, and fully immersed in a um in a, a virtual world um, so where we're kind of you know you put on these these glasses uh, with these kind of head mounted displays um just to give some examples you know oculus um the oculus rift The HTC Vive, uh, Samsung Gear Mm VR—you know, these are these are things which you you know have essentially like, you know, it's like putting a rectangle on your face, Mm -hmm. so no one can see your eyes. You know, Mm -hmm. it's that kind of technology which you. Possibly, people are probably a bit more familiar with than maybe than AR at the augmented reality at the moment. And
0: augmented reality at the moment, then how would you describe the forms that exists in currently? Because there seem to be yeah. there seems to be potential, as you said, like for displays for this to manifest in a number of different ways.
1: Yeah, so I think it's yeah that's a good point as well. So I think you know the the way things are kind of going, as I say, I think you know more and more companies are trying to develop these head mounted displays. Mm. So you know companies like Meta, who I mentioned, Daqri, another one mm. um, who have offices in in Ireland. That's right, um, yeah for Irish listeners, um, and uh, then you have Microsoft with their HoloLens, yes. probably one of the, sort of the most kind of advanced, uh, these are some of the most advanced in this kind of area. Mm. So, um, and really that's kind of, you know, putting on kind of some sort of helmet or smart glasses, as it might be, might be called, um, which, which have the sort of, um, have a screen which you can see through these, you can see the real world, but then the virtual virtual information is overlaid on top of them. So that's kind of what I mean by head-mounted displays. Mm and then you have you know you can have augmented reality through your phones and through mm. your tablets and i think that's obviously how probably most of us first experience it certainly mm. how i most ex- uh, i first experienced it um, so you have you know various different apps for viewing um, viewing kind of um, uh, objects in the real world so what what you kind of what's commonly done there is an object will have a you'll put some something called a QR code mm. on the object and that will allow the uh, your device to read that um to 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 read uh to, it's basically like a barcode yeah and it sort of uh, can read that barcode or that qr code and then on the screen well well it will it will then um show the physical object but then the virtual mm. stuff projected on top of that so just as an example which you can all kind of go and have a look at again daiquiri have developed some uh a good kind of um, Kind of, it's kind of like a game for um, viewing uh, chemistry elements. Mm. It's called Elements Three D, Four D, Elements Four D, because uh, augmented reality allows you to see. Oh, you know, I'll let you read <laughs> the <laughs> website for more details on that. But cool. anyway, it's called Elements Four D. You can download it um, from uh, Google Play, I think. Yeah, we'll put uh, a link again. Yeah, great, yeah. and it also works on um, at, uh, at the Mac platform. Um, mm so it, it it basically kind of uh, it, uh you basically built you can build these these blocks out of paper mm. and they have the qr codes on them so they're just uh squares um uh, sorry uh yeah squares um mm. and you can um basically uh um point your uh kind of device your smartphone tablet at these squares which are on, which are on a cube mm. um and then it'll read those and show you the kind of the elements so and th- then you can sort of touch it and interact with it so it's important to say i think there's also that element of being able to interact with the kind of virtual objects so for example if you look at kind of meron grubetz's ted talk Mm. um, about meta he shows how you can Mm. physically interact using your hands with the augmented reality augmented kind of Mm. with the virtual object in front of you um which is obviously you know a powerful kind of Mm. means of you know kind of uh really allowing you to learn in a much more kind of Experiential way, which is important from a psychological and That's what was point coming to mind off. for me there, yeah, because this yeah.
0: interactive sense seems important. And um, yeah. of course, one thing that's happening is this classic virtual reality, augmented reality uh, distinction seems to be slightly breaking down, which is probably a good thing as it becomes more of a sliding scale of degrees of isolation. <laughs> From what we would typically consider yeah. the physical environment, mm. uh, which 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 is is good, you know, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. The other thing, when you're talking about smartphones and sometimes even simplistic use of these technologies, even things like. Uh, snapchat or these various mm-hmm. apps have these sort of fascinating <laughs> augmentations mm. where they'll change and warp you when you're looking at yourself on the camera yes yeah, the yeah. these seem while simple and playful they seem very very important mm. I- in democratizing these things to some degree and getting people thinking about them and familiar mm. with them and aware of them yeah um how b- because i've i've had a chance to try uh, hololens briefly mm. uh i've been in Daiquiri but haven't had a chance <laughs> to see anything, uh, right. that, that I know they're do, doing some fairly serious stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, we, we obviously understand it's early days with some of this and so we yeah. need to be a little bit patient, but at the same time we don't want to be too patient. We want to kind of get this out to the masses and have a uh, have a good feedback loop going on yeah. and preferably a lot of people creatively working on projects themselves. Where, where do you see that going with with augmented reality? Yeah. Again, I think it's uh, uh, these are really important questions. I think you know it's
1: important to realize. Yeah, as you said, that augmented reality is is, is probably on a growth curve, which is behind virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So by that, I mean you know, virtual reality. We should start to see these. I think the products are probably going to be on the market you know, I don't know what the price tag will be, but they should should be sort of coming on the market kind of this year. Mm. I think, you know, augment uh, and, and by that, I mean, you know, virtual reality is kind of, you know, gaming and stuff sure. will start to incorporate these things. You know, I think I think augmented reality is really, at the moment, it really is about kind of helping people in their kind of work, mm. you know, contexts. And I think um, it's <coughs> it might take a bit more time for that to be mm. picked up and actually used for um, in other kind of areas. However, you know, it certainly is being used, I mean, the, be- the best example is probably Pokemon Go at the moment. You know, it's the first really augmented right. reality game, example, yeah. and obviously that kind of you know kind of took the took the world by storm mm. um, last year. So I think that really shows you the the, the power of, of 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 AR of mm-hmm. augmented reality. And mm-hmm. I think you know just just some small facets of that. You know, again taking people away from just being on their screens. Yeah. You know, a lot of people um, th- there was a lot of talk about how um, augmented reality actually got people um, to, uh, walk outside mm. and actually do exercise, you know, I mean, go for walks and go to various places around town, um, to find, you know, to, mm. to capture their Pokemon, um, that otherwise they'd be sitting at home mm. kind of, you know, playing the game yes, on their desktop yeah. or on their kind of laptop in one place. I think that's really, you know, it's kind of a simple thing, but it's massively powerful, mm. you know, it, for, you know, say interventions in psychology where you're trying to who are trying? you're trying to get people to exercise more who, who really aren't Actually. kind of maybe, you know, into exercise. But, mm. you know, you're kind of getting exercise in through the back door.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: I think that's, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, that kind of, I think where games begin, mm. uh, the, re- the everything else follows. You know, if you can mm. show a game works, then th- that will kind of allow um, a space there to be opened up for sort of technologies which kind of utilize it for more kind of... Uh, Serious purposes, in a sense, yes, by serious, exactly, I mean, kind yeah. of in, you know, uh, for example, you know, in psychology, psychology you mm-hmm. might want to change behavior using these yes. technologies.
0: Yeah, hugely, hugely yeah. beneficial. Uh, a lot of interactivity in it, which, as you say, from an experiential learning point of view, I- is just so crucial. Yeah. Uh, just customization is very interesting as well. we yeah. something we're, we're playing around with at the moment. One of the problems of being a therapist is that when you have a therapy room or a space or a center, you have to be fairly neutral in everything you do because there's people coming in with all kinds of phobias mm. and, you know, the pictures you put on the walls, the things you have. Yeah. But, of course, that can come at the cost of a warmth. You know, you want to create a nice space as yeah. well. So one thing we're playing with at the moment <laughs> is just that, is having some very simple intake questions as a part of the intake process mm. before somebody even comes in mm. and changing lighting levels, colors, uh, pictures even, adapting to the preferences of the person so there's a sense of familiarity of the environment before you've you've even arrived and equally you're not contraindicating in any way by giving them a picture of a horse when they have a phobia of horses <laughs> on the wall or something like that so mm. th- it seems to be that even in that, that's a relatively low tech example um, in that it's not it's not all about you know displays that we're looking through or projection or anything like that it's about very very simple existing technologies mm. but there seems to be kind of clever ways of using that technology that restaurants was the other example you gave where you know according to your dietary preferences the menu can shift and vary so you've got this gluten-free menu or this vegetarian menu or this even just preferential menu that's come up as is needed there seem to be a lot of exciting uses like that that kind of we've had the technology for a while to do that to some degree but we're not quite not quite using it yeah,
1: and I think it's finding those, you know, key killer use cases. Um, I mean, by I don't mean, you know, killer isn't yeah. <laughs> killing you, <laughs> but mm-hmm. the ones that really allow f- allow it to take off. So I think Pokemon Go would be, in the game sector, a yep. great early example. Um, I think hopefully we'll see more, um, I- you know, kind of examples in the game, in the game sector and other spheres. Um, I think, you know, you have, for example, uh, from a sales point of view, Lego have been kind mm-hmm. of an early adopter of augmented reality because you can allow... Um, Uh, children you know people buying lego to see what the lego creations are once they're built and people Mm. to actually sort of see those in 3d um and manipulate it kind of in in a sort of uh i think it's still a screen-based environment but sure but it's it's basically what you do is you 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 take the barcode from the box and Mm -hmm. put it up to some booth in the uh i think in the lego uh, shop And it it, it sort of scans that and shows you what the thing will look like when it's built. And you Mm -hmm. can sort of like move it around from different angles Mm and, you know, start to appreciate how the thing you're going to you're buying is going to look when it's actually built. Mm. And I think, you know, they've they've obviously adopted that because it's been a useful way of, you know, it increases the ability of the, the it increases the chance that a kid will nag their parents to buy that product, <laughs> which is obviously sure, what they want, sure. uh, you know, sort of. Much I, more engagement. Yeah. yeah, and I think if you're engaging kids with it, you know, you're, there's a sign that it's actually working, you know. Mm-hmm. This I is always the, the old-fashioned
0: rule of thumb for <coughs> salespeople, is have the product in the person's hands as Absolutely. you're selling it, isn't it? Exactly, so there's something yeah. to that, right, in experiential learning that this participation builds some sort of connection.
1: Exactly, and I think that's a good example, because in Lego, you know, you, you can't have these things always, you can't have every single Lego um, kit built in store. Yeah. you know it's different for um, for maybe a, when you're selling shoes sure. or something like that, and you can actually sort of manipulate these things. Mm. I think there isn't there is an element of like a, you know kind of the the sort of newness of augmented reality, mm. but you know you have to be kind of uh, mindful of the fact that that new, newness might just become you know might just be seen as a hype and it might just get old quickly for sure. consumers. So I think in um, you know it needs to be used. In the best way possible. Mm. I think. I think for, you know, I mean, I'm I'm particularly interested in um, sort of the work context and how we can use uh, augmented reality to facilitate things like training and mm. and learning. Um, I and yeah, say a bit yeah. more about that.
0: Because uh, what I wanted to ask you is, sure, yeah, what yeah. you 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 I think you've <laughs> clarified what it is. Well, mm. what what are you interested in it? Where where are you planning and taking your interest in your research yeah. with this now?
1: So so I mean, I'm in tr- where I, where I'm interested in going is is really. Um, i I'm trying to find those kind of killer use cases okay. in um, uh, the context of sort of work and training environments where we can mm. use the augmented reality technology to support learning. So I think, you know, there's an interesting idea. Um, again, Maren Gribetz of Meta kind of mm. mentioned this called, you know, augmented reality provides a zero learning curve. Mm. Now, by that, he means that, you know, you put this headset, the head mounted display on, the glasses on. You go and um, build your you know IKEA furniture you've never you've never built that piece of furniture before you've mm. never built any IKEA furniture and you know you can just you can do this you know very very easily you know mm. or even a more a more extreme example you know you can put it you can go and inspect a, a nuclear power plant and, and and turn the various you know uh, and, and check readings from dials and turn the various pieces of equipment that are needed to sort of you uh, make that kind of plant function on mm. a day-to-day basis. And the likes of, you know, uh, people without any training, as long as they had the headgear on, mm. could go and do that. Uh, so it's a, very, it's a very powerful idea, because essentially you're sort of saying, well, you're taking the training. You know, y- you don't need to have training. Mm. You just use the the, the, the augmented reality instructions uh, delivered v- kind of, you know, virtually through the glasses, mm. tell you exactly what you need to do um, and the steps you need to do and the timing of these steps. So I think, you know, uh, the uh, the important kind of element there can be summed up in this sort of ability, in this sort of um, idea. Of this, when we sort of do things in work, we have this sort of tacit knowledge of mm. how to do things. Um, now, th- that's often kind of you know these things like the inspection of the power plant is learned over years of you know being a uh, how to do this. You get kind of a mentor which shows you how to mm. do that. You know, could you, you know could you use AR to sort of take take away the job of the of the of the mentor? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, now the you know, I think it's important here to say this, you know, there's different types of knowledge, mm. and this is where kind of the psychology comes in. So, um, you know, there's the knowledge that Dublin is the capital of, of Ireland, mm. which you could tell, you know, you can write that down in, a, in, a, in mm. a, a piece of paper, you know, you can transfer that to someone else very easily. But it's much harder to transfer the knowledge about how to, you know, cook uh, 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 a brilliant meal, for right. example. right. Um, if just that'd wave go again, again, yeah, because the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 the lights have gone off.
0: Um, By the way, for anybody who's listening to this and not watching the video, uh, the, the, just to explain, there's a motion sensor activated lights, isn't that what that yeah. is? So that's technology being that some of that environmental efficiency you were talking about before.
1: That's right, and it's not. I, I unfortunately humans have <laughs> been cut out the picture there, which is you know that shows you the problems. When Absolutely, <laughs> when there is a point to be made there. <laughs> <No>. Yes, <laughs> don't be still. M- mindfulness
0: practitioners would suffer in this building. Yeah, they they, they certainly would. <laughs>
1: um, so. Um, yeah, so I was saying about this, you know, the, the how to cook a great meal, for yes. example. You know, that's okay. We have recipes, but you know, I don't know what your your experience kind of listeners and, and yourself, John, mm-hmm. um, have. But when I try and recreate a, a meal from a recipe, it never looks the same as it <laughs> does on the on the on the recipe book. It never looks the same as Jamie Oliver or, you know, uh, one of these other star chefs the way they make it on TV, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I keep telling myself, well, I follow the instructions to the letter, but it's still, it's still not the same. And I think this kind of nicely sums up the idea. That there's this sort of tacit knowledge of of things that people do mm-hmm. that impact on, you know, what they, uh, for example, what the, sh- the, 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 the the outcome of of the process mm-hmm. is, or, you know, of the process of cooking a meal. And um, that's very difficult to capture on pen and paper, but might mm-hmm. be a lot more easier easier to capture on kind of, you know. Through kind of um, actually being being told in the moment what to do through kind of instructions right. delivered through your um, uh, through your. Head-mounted eyewear for your augmented reality. Well, that's eyewear. great because
0: it's this lovely yeah. meeting together of action and knowledge, which seems to be one of the, the things <coughs> we've been exploring. Yeah, isn't it? This absolutely. meeting together in some very practical way. Exactly,
1: and I think that kind of, you know, the, from a psychological point of view, it's really, you know, it's contextualized, contextualizing knowledge. Mm. You know, and I think that's what um, augmented reality could do. You know, absolutely, uh, perfectly. Is that, um, you know, you're, 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 you're or, you know, could do, rather, that that current technology doesn't allow. Mm -hmm. And that's really to sort of show what you should be doing at which time Mm. um, and, you know, (coughs) exactly, like, how to sort of, you know, exactly... What ingredient needs to be added into cooking at what time, or mm. what button needs to be pressed at, at a certain time, mm. and just making that a lot easier for you as well, and taking away that load of having to that kind of mental load of having to refer back to you know recipe all the time mm. when you're cooking, which is kind of what stresses me out when I'm cooking. You know, it's sort of if it was just delivered in front of me, then it makes that a really smooth uh, process. And you know, for, uh, for, for example, applications of that could be in surgery, where mm. you're, where you're, you know. Um, uh, someone who's uh, doing doing surgery is uh, showing exactly what they need to do at a certain time. Um, obviously, I think, you know, that, that example brings up the idea, you know, I wouldn't totally agree with this idea there's a zero learning curve to mm-hmm. AR because, mm-hmm. you know, Think about surgery, um, you know, you probably wouldn't want, you know, as I'm a psychologist and I'm a doctor, but you probably wouldn't want me doing, you know, heart surgery on you (laughs) (laughs) for good reason. Um, I'm not a medical doctor. Heart surgery by numbers. (laughs) Heart surgery, you know, even (laughs) if I was told exactly what process, exactly what sort of steps I need to do, um, even if I had all that knowledge, all that tacit knowledge to hand through augmented reality, I still don't possess the motor skills to actually do that correctly. And I think that's what's good. You know, uh, psychology really teaches us there's different types of, of uh, of knowledge there. There's mm-hmm. this idea of procedural knowledge. This idea of um, actually, how should you manipulate the scalpel? Mm. And surgeons often talk about sort of the um, the kind of surgical finesse mm. when they do surgery. Mm. So this uh, this ability to oh, are we may be going to be interrupted here potentially, but. I'll just finish this off. We're doing Uh, this real in the real world. In the real world, in the real world. Yeah. (laughs) So the idea of surgical finesse being about um, you know how you actually sort of make sure you do the operation properly um, and uh, really kind of you know so you don't kind of hurt so you know you you make the incisions correctly and um, I think that's something which the good thing about AR is is it takes away that kind of knowledge element uh, Mm -hmm. to some extent. I think can really support certain tasks, but you know it doesn't replace. It's not like you, know, you could just have some, the man on the street going in to be a hard surgeon. Sure. So,
0: um, from I thi- yeah. from your uh, your experience in creativity or augmented reality as being exploring there, is there any key learning or takeaway that really stands out for you from it? Anything you maybe weren't so clear on before you jumped into these topics? Um. A point of kind of learning and it's a good question and not even one thing but there's th- even a theme because obviously before yeah. you jumped into these topics and as you are now is there yeah. anything that really is going kind to of come to the fore yeah. for you that maybe you
1: so i think i think the thing that kind of comes to the fore is this idea that, uh, that technology should be there to take the burden off us okay. so that we can then do you know so that it takes this, the 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 burden of things which we don't want to do off us mm-hmm. rather than replaces the tasks which we do want to do okay so i think that's important we don't want to replace people doing you know manufacturing we don't want to you know um uh, take away people's jobs sure we want to allow people's we want to make people's jobs easier Mm. and that's the whole point about technology it should be doing that rather than replacing people's jobs and and giving us then the space to do more interesting things you know maybe more creative things right um and i think that's where maybe you can link the two Um, and Mm. i think you know, it's this idea that, um, you know, I think we do want to put the human at the center of everything so that we don't replace their jobs. But yes, we want to make sure that um, we we don't just, uh, you know, take the human out of the equation. That's and definitely. I, I think that's that applies for anything. And I think, you know, who wouldn't want a little bit less load, you know, when mm. you're cooking the dinner and stuff like that. You know, everyone wants to do that easier sometimes, you know, sure. especially if you've got kids hounding you or something like that, you know, make life easier for us. I think mm. that's what, what should be our mantra when, with with technology and you know i think augmented reality is a good example of how
0: we can you know mm. do that you know, possibly virtual reality as well if if people want um, to find out more about you keep in touch with some of your research yeah. and your work what's the best way for them to do that
1: yeah uh the best way um is you can i mean uh go to um my uh, kind of website yeah um which is probably best so if you type and uh, dr andrew pringle mm-hmm. um um into uh, University College Dublin. Okay, we'll um, include a link p- as that's well. That's probably again. the best. Um, I'm also on Twitter as well. Um, I'm not sure how easily I am to find there, but at, okay. if you type in, in AJ Pringle UCD, I think you should sure. probably find me um, Find me there. Again, I'm happy to provide kind of some link so you can, you can follow up. Please do get in touch. I'm always
0: you know, happy to hear from people. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very and, much. Uh, yourself, yeah. We've explored some fascinating topics and Mm. really what i'd love to do is have you on again some point in the future if you'd be up for it because i think this is really happening in real time a lot of Mm. what we're talking about and uh, it's so important to understand it as it's happening and keep guiding it so thanks for being here and talk soon